Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Claire Farley. She's Mayor London Breed's director of the San Francisco Office of Transgender Initiatives, the first and only trans-led city department of its kind in the country. She's talking today about what it's like to be a trans advocate with so much hate against the trans community coming out of Washington, D.C. A new San Francisco program to pair LGBT homeless youth with people willing to house them in their homes. And November being Trans Awareness Month. And also, of course, where she goes for her favorite burrito. I'll be right back with Claire Farley. Claire Farley, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. So incredibly, we have never met until about five minutes ago. (laughs) Um, But I hear you're an important person to know at City Hall. So I was wondering if you can kind of give me your background in a few minutes, uh, where you grew up and all that good stuff. Yeah, I grew up in Missoula, Montana, Mm -hmm. and I'm an identical twin. Oh. Yeah. And um, I went uh, to college at Sarah Lawrence in New York. Uh Uh-huh. And then moved out here because my twin um, was in San Francisco. Okay. And so it was time for us. Do you spend a lot of time together? We do, actually. Yeah, we're really close. Um, And I worked at the SFLGBT Center um, for 10 years running their economic development programs. So we did a lot of uh, work um, both helping trans and LGBT folks get jobs and start small businesses. Um, uh, we were one of the sites that worked with the BMR, mm-hmm. um, homeownership and rental market. Mm-hmm. And at what age did you transition and what was that like? Um, well, I've kind of talked about this a lot, um, cause I've done a couple documentaries. Um, and so people always love to ask, ask these questions, mm-hmm. but um, I transitioned um, when I was 18, um, just out of high school. Um, and, you know, it was pretty challenging because, you know, my mom really didn't understand it. My dad was a lot more, um, a lot more supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I feel like now I look at it, it feels like so many lifetimes ago Mm -hmm. it's hard to sometimes remember all the struggles but Uh I think that since my work is so rooted in community you know I get to kind of be able to be there for other people as Mm -hmm. they go through through those challenges um and plus my sister um just came out and started her transition oh wow oh interesting it's interesting how many years later I get to see it from a different perspective. Is that common for twins or has that um, been studied at all? A little bit. We've we've talked to a couple different twin specialists mm-hmm. or not specialists, but writers and mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty common at least to have someone within the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. And has your mother accepted it now? Yeah. I mean, she still sometimes slips up on uh-huh. pronouns for my sister. And I'm uh-huh. like, okay, you've had multiple years to figure this out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with me. So there's really no excuse. But yeah. I think it's not really intentional. I think for a lot of folks, it's just you get used to, you know, one name, one mm-hmm. set of pronouns. It can be hard to kind of evolve from there. And were there any particularly difficult experiences that made you want to become an advocate for the trans community? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I was in New York, I, um, when I was going to school, going to college, I was looking for summer work and, you know, I really couldn't find a job even bussing tables or, you know, working at J. Crew or anything. Um, and I knew that, you know, part of that was, um, because I didn't pass and mm-hmm. the discrimination that came with, um, you know, trying to just survive. Um, and I had a lot of privilege, a lot of access, um, come from a middle-class family, have an education. Um, so, you know, I really, I think through that experience, um, and then also I was fired from a job later, um, for trying to use the bathroom that matched my gender identity. So um, all of those things, I think, kind of inspired me to be like, how can I help Mm -hmm. more of my community get into work? Um, Because you knew others would have it even harder than you. Mm -hmm. And when did San Francisco create the Office of Transgender Initiatives, and how were you selected to lead it? Yeah, so the office was started in 2017. Um, and my predecessor, Teresa Sparks, who previously had head up the, um, human rights commission, uh, was planning to retire. Um, and so I was able to meet with mayor, uh, Lee before his passing, um, and get appointed, um, appointed to the role. Um, you know, there really wasn't a lot of structure in the office when I came on board, um, and since then, we've kind of grown grown the office. We're now a team of three. <laughs> uh, but we're bringing on um, a, a couple new positions, a training officer um, to help uh, do trans inclusion training across the city. Um, hopefully, they'll be hired by the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I heard the, it takes forever to hire people at City Hall. <laughs> oh, my God. It's horrible. <laughs> um, but the office really came out of this vision that Mayor Lee supported, which was really how can we keep San Francisco as kind of a, you know, advancing city of trans and human rights so that we're leading the country on how we can be more inclusive? Um, because we've already done that in terms of healthcare access, transition related care, um, you know, overall policies in terms of protections. Um, so we really wanted to be like, how can we continue to move that needle forward? And then Trump was elected. Yeah. So <laughs> and your job became even more and more. Yeah. Right? So a lot of our work has been a little bit more on how do we keep the protections we have mm-hmm. um, and have a strong response to the attacks on the community. So we're still working on how can we advance and, and meet gaps in services, but it's definitely not kind of that rosy picture that 
hadn't been envisioned. Right. That actually uh, perfectly segues into my next question, which was, um, it seems like there's a new anti-trans initiative out of the White House every week these days. And state legislatures have also introduced more than 100 anti-LGBT bills across the country recently. How do you keep up the fight in such a grim national atmosphere? Does it ever just feel depressing and like you can't um, make headway? Yeah. I mean, I think I look at it as like every Friday, you know. The Friday news dump. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so I don't know why he likes to attack trans people on Fridays or something. About <laughs> that is that. weird. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think it can be depressing. I think especially from the perspective of, you know, kind of a community office and a leader in the community, there's a lot of kind of expectation at time to kind of keep community inspired and hopeful. And I think, you know, after attack, after attack, it's difficult to, you know, sometimes see the hope. But I think what's really kept me inspired is, you know, the resiliency of the community itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in looking at the history of those that have come before us and, you know, Marsha P. Johnson, Ms. Major, others that have kind of survived, you know, a lot more racism, transphobia, et cetera. Um, and so I think this is just kind of another one of those moments where we have to remember how resilient we are and come together as a community and recognize that, you know, San Francisco is continue to really have strong protections regardless of what happens in the White House. Um, and how can we make sure to like elevate and lift that up to mm-hmm. be like, hey, this is actually really amazing when we celebrate and recognize and honor people for who they are Mm -hmm. and nothing crazy happens when you do that. Right. Are there any um, democratic presidential candidates that you think have a good platform on these Mm. issues, especially? Um, wasn't expecting that question. (laughs) Um, no, I, I actually really like, uh, several of the candidates. Um, I've been really inspired by, um, Kamala Harris, I think primarily because I really think it's time to have a woman in the white house. Um, and I think that she has done a lot of really great things for the community in California. Um, and, you know, also I think Warren has really great positions on, on trans community as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, next month, November is trans awareness month. And I understand there'll be a trans flag raising at city hall and that city hall will be lit in the colors. Yeah. Um, yeah. What does that mean to you? And what are your plans for November? Yeah, so last year um, we kicked off the first Trans Awareness Month um, in the country with uh, Mayor Breed. And it was just... It was created here? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Was that your doing? Yes. Oh, wow. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it it was really a great opportunity to kind of continue that um, momentum forward this year. Um, Are other cities participating? Yeah. LA is doing it. I think New York. Um, a lot of other cities do just a trans awareness week mm-hmm. during that month. Um, How'd you pick November? Well, during um, during that month uh, is Trans Day of Remembrance mm-hmm. on November 20th, which um, is kind of an honoring of those who have been lost uh, due to violence and murder. Um, this year alone, we've lost um, over 20 um, trans women of color due to murder across the country. 
Um, and every week there's, you know, continues to be more attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the event really is a way to kind of memorialize their life and lift up what they've, um, provided and have kind of a healing space, but in kind of recognizing the month, uh, we also wanted to kind of create awareness around the community because we know that oftentimes, you know, there's so much going on in the world that is continued attacks and we want to make sure that we're telling the stories and helping educate communities so that this violence can can stop. Also, um, in November is the annual Trans Film Festival. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of things throughout the month that kind of um, loan itself to celebrating. Mm -hmm. And I know the mayor's office is working with the LGBT Center on a new program called Host Homes. Uh, the center will be looking to match um, LGBT homeless youth with hosts who can provide them um, somewhere safe to live. And you said in the press release that it's everybody's responsibility to be part of the solution when it comes to addressing homelessness. It can't just be like a city hall only thing. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that philosophy and what you hope with the program? Yeah. You know, so... <clears throat> We partnered um, with the mayor and the SFLGBT Center to really look at like what could be some innovative ways to help address youth homelessness um, within the city. Uh, LGBT youth make up 50% of the homeless youth population, but there's really very limited resources going towards that community. Um, and so this program really acts as a way to you know, match young people um, with families, you know, maybe their kids gone to college or um, they might have an extra space that they've Airbnb'd, mm -hmm. um, but they want to give back in some way um, and really match that young person um, with that family that has that space. And we know how expensive it is in this rental market. So oftentimes, even with rental subsidies or uh, support, it's really hard for young people to afford um, afford to rent out a place. So this allows them the opportunity over that three to six month year period to start saving up mm -hmm. so that they can kind of be more self-sufficient in the future. And so I really see this as an opportunity and the mayor's called for this as well is really looking at how can we all be a part of the solution is like everyone likes to complain about the homeless problem mm -hmm. in the city, but what are they actually doing to help support it? Right. Do you think that families will really step up and say, I am willing to take a homeless person into my house? Well, I think it's important to recognize that these folks aren't necessarily homeless. Like they're either graduating out of, uh, you know, Castro Street Home or Larkin Street. So they've been in service um, and, you know, they've stabilized and provided access to care. But those rooms and beds need to be available to the next young person mm -hmm. coming off the street. So this is really not necessarily, um, you know, right off of the street, no resources, no support. This is really kind of the continuum of care. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's case management and um, wraparound support, both for the host and for the young person. Uh, and so it's really meant to be kind of a bridge to self-sufficiency. Um, you know, they may not be ready to cover month to month rent, but, you know, they've already gone through a series of series of programs to kind of feel supported. Okay. And then I understand there's a different program called Our Trans Home SF. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So this was kind of a, a really exciting partnership. 
with our trans advisory committee that ad, uh, basically advises our office and the mayor's office on uh, trans priorities. And then we also did kind of a listening session uh, across community organizations to identify kind of the biggest barrier uh, the community was facing. And we found that uh, housing, not surprising, was that biggest challenge. And so we worked um, to have the Trans Advisory Committee meet with the mayor and talk about that concern. And then we also did an advocacy day um, back in March uh, with the Board of Supervisors to talk about the concern. Um, and we're able to partner with the mayor to put uh, two million, um, over two million uh, uh, subsidy uh, funds into the budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this uh, these rental subsidies will provide um, kind of a flexible um, subsidy, whether it's someone who can't afford first and last or someone who might be getting evicted and cover back rent or, you know, looking at um, right now renting a couple different flats where, you know, folks can be housed together. Um, so it really is, you know, a flexible option mm-hmm. to both get people off the street and to prevent uh, homelessness. And a city for decades has been a place um, where LGBT people from all over the country who may have been cast out by their families or don't feel safe at home come seeking, you know, sanctuary. But with our rental market, are you concerned that that is just increasingly the city is kind of losing that ability to be that sanctuary? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that that's part of you know, where we see this barrier is that I think the community has often struggled um, both because of discrimination within housing and, you know, being kicked out of a family or really not having a level of resource. And so folks have been kind of forced into survival. We know that um, trans folks are 18 times more likely to be homeless than the general population in San Francisco. Um, And so, you know, a lot of times folks are moving into the East Bay and um, we really wanted to be like, how do we help preserve preserve queer culture in -hmm. the city? And I think, you know, oftentimes folks are flooding here from the rest of the country as well, especially as we see, you know, states add more and more anti-trans policies. So we really want to make sure that we're able to support people wherever they're at in, in their process of, of transition or coming out. Um, and I think that really does start with housing. Mm-hmm. You know, we funded everything from trans employment programs to anti-violence work, but housing has never been addressed for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we prioritize. Your focus. Any other initiatives coming up you'd like to touch on before we move on to the lightning round? I can talk for a while. I don't want to do that. No, just joking. Um, No, I think one other thing we're really focusing on this year is really thinking about um, how do we support the community with the mayor's priority around mental health access and healthcare. Um, We have, you know, some of the greatest healthcare programs for trans folks uh, who are uninsured, who are wanting to access uh, trans-related care, but know that can be limited also in terms of, you know, resources and how many folks can go through that process. Um, So we want to make sure that that can improve. And then also, you know, trans folks, you know, with everything that's going on uh, in the world are really acceptable to suicide and 
violence. And so we really want to look at what type of mental health services can we make sure are available to our community, you know, um, harm reduction services to service providers. Um, and so that will be one of the priorities of our office in the TAC this mm -hmm. year. Great. Well, you've survived the serious questions. Mm -hmm. So now the fun stuff. What is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Mm. Actually, um, I'll have to copy one that you've um, been on your podcast before. But when I lived in the Mission, my favorite was the 24th um, in Mission uh, spot right there by Bart. La Taqueria? Yeah. yeah. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? <sighs> um, I'm trying to think. What is a good movie that's filmed in San Francisco? Oh, I um, did some extra work on this. It wasn't really a movie, but it was a series, um, When We Rise. Um, oh, yeah. Which was super that. fun. Yeah. Um, what scenes were you in? I got to do, like, the White Knight rides, like, the running up City Hall steps. Uh -huh. And then also we did um, the first Pride March. Uh -huh. um, and a Carol Migdon speech in the Castro. Oh, cool. Yeah. Where do you like to go for a stiff drink? Um, I actually don't drink very much. Um, so I'm more of like a rosé, <laughs> a rosé girl. Um, so really any of the wine bars. Anywhere with rosé. <laughs> yeah. What was your first concert? Um, hmm. Well, the concert that I can remember that was kind of my first I guess say dead show I went to um, uh, the dead uh, when they were out here recently with John Mayer which was super fun mm -hmm. um, I'd never been to a dead show um, and yeah cool what was the last book that you read um, I had to write it down because I was going to forget the title it was Valerie Jarrett Finding My Voice, and she worked in the Obama White uh -huh. House. So just inspired by folks who make it work kind of behind the scenes mm -hmm. in politics. It's often the unsung heroes that I think really inspire me to kind of continue the work forward. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite depiction of a trans person in movies or on TV? Mm -hmm. Well, Pose is pretty fabulous. It's hard to beat that. Um, I haven't seen that. Oh, really? No. You have to check it out. I, I know season one's on um, Netflix, but it was the first time like over five trans women of color have been cast in a show. Um, uh, my friend Janet Mock, who's um, done a couple of really great memoirs or um, books, uh, is a producer and writer on the show. So it's really great to see kind of community in front of the camera and behind the camera for the first time. And what is the most frustrating stereotype that the general public has about the trans community? Hmm. That's a good question. I think it can be frustrating that, you know, every trans person has the same kind of physical transition story. Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of pre all the kind of liberation around that and, you know, told my story on a Netflix documentary and with National Geographic. And so I think it's really helped to kind of evolve the conversation that, you know, to help people understand that there's really different types of transition. Mm -hmm. Some folks 
may not have surgery or, you know, and I think people not making assumptions around, okay, a trans person is one way. Mm -hmm. And lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Mm, Coffee. (laughs) Like you are right now. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming. It was fun to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you to Clara Farley for joining me today, to Karen Creighton and King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.